Let's get our Bibles um, and turn to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible, as always, as a church, we like to provide you with a copy of God's Word. And, and if you want a copy, our lovely chap over there, lovely lad, Anthony, um, has a copy for you. And the reason why we want you to have a copy of God's Word is, as a church, um, we um, preach through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And um, what we love is for you to have your own copy so you actually not only hear, but you see um, what we're currently focusing on. Um, and so if you have a digital Bible, totally fine. Never my preference, um, but whatever, whatever. Um, <laughs> Oh my gosh. But this morning, um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. Um, my mic's a bit echoing. Is it just me? Can you, is it, it feels like that. Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through to 12. And if you're new to our church, we've been um, doing a series or going through the Gospel of Mark, um, which is a first century biography of the life of Jesus. And so we are currently in chapter 10, and it's getting really interesting, really interesting. Last week, <laughs> last week we talked about the um, ugliness of sin, reality of hell, um, and this week we're going to be touching on another um, sensitive um, issue, um, which is really um, challenging. And we're going to be talking about uh, a marriage and divorce and remarriage and um, those things. And so if you have your Bible, I'm going to read Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. And as I read, follow along with me. And it reads, And he, that is Jesus, left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Verse 5. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Verse 9. What therefore God has joined together, let no, not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. 
Jesus, you are the Savior. You are King. You are Lord. And we desire this morning to surrender to you, even if we struggle with surrendering our thoughts, our actions, our lives to you. May you, through our time, enable us to desire to not only have desires to surrender all, but actually put it into place in our lives. As we talk about this topic of marriage and divorce, may you help us. May you help us, give us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus, um, as we've been saying throughout our study in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is not only compelling, but at times he can be controversial. And we've not only been saying it, but we've actually witnessed it for ourselves as we've studied his life um, through the biography um, Mark wrote about him. And we have come um, to a kind of a turning point in the life of Jesus. He, at this point of his life, is beginning to head towards Jerusalem where he will eventually suffer um, and die. But as he's on his way there, it feels like, and if you've been following along with us, if you haven't, you can go on our podcast, shameless plug-in, um, you can do that. But it feels like he's turning up the heat on what it actually looks like for us who are believers, who call ourselves Christians, to be his disciples. Um, and the reason that is, is last week, Jesus began talking about like, the reality of hell, like the reality of hell. And this week, he continues to talk about another topic that is quite controversial, um, and it wasn't just controversial there, it's absolutely controversial and really sensitive and really touchy in our day and age. It just is. And the topic is marriage, but he's placing an emphasis on divorce. Um, and I just want to say this morning, my intent is not to cover everything when it comes to these topics. I just can't. I have like 35 minutes and I need to push start on the uh, actual clock. I have 35 minutes. Um, <laughs> I just reminded myself. I have 35 minutes and I just cannot cover everything. And so the plan is 
to provide for you kind of this big picture um, understanding of what Jesus was talking about. And then in our community groups, of course, we're going to be talking more about it. And what I will do is provide you guys with resources, further resources, um, online, through our group meetings, through our email, and whatever means we have that we can communicate with you, provide you with further resources. And so kind of that is the plan, all right? That is the plan. Um, for it. And so verse 1, let's look at verse 1. Look at what verse 1 says. And he, that is Jesus, what did he do? He left the region. Um, he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as um, was his custom, he taught them. And so Jesus is on his way to Judea. And guess what? Um, Judea is the capital of Jerusalem. Um, and we know, as I said earlier, he's off to Jerusalem in order to suffer and die. Um, Jesus at this point is still very well known. He's very famous. He's very popular. His popularity has not dwindled one bit. How do we know that? Because the crowds gather to him. And I love Jesus throughout the gospel of Mark. Just love him. Every time the crowds gather, no matter how tired he is, what does he do? He gives them his time. And this is what he's doing here. And he's not telling the crowds to go away. He's not. He is teaching them. And he is providing for them teachings that will enable them and strengthen them. And so as he's teaching the crowds, verse 2 lets us know that the Pharisees, uh-oh, the Pharisees are back. And we know through Mark that these Pharisees have always been against Jesus. They've tried everything they can in order to destroy him, destroy his reputation. They are the religious leaders of that time, and they've been gone for a while. Okay, last time we remember seeing them, they were in chapter 8, right? They've been gone for a while, but now they're back. And so the Pharisees came up, uh, and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus may have been popular with the crowds, but he was very much disliked by the Pharisees. The crowds have gathered around Jesus to learn from him, but the Pharisees are there. And what does, he, what does it say? They came in order to test him. And what that means is that they've showed up in order to find fault and get Jesus in trouble, okay? They wanted to find anything that they can use to tell on Jesus. My kids are at an age now where they just want to tell on each other. It's quite annoying, <laughs> but they're kids. It's just, no, oh, Jesse did this, and Kezia did this, and Eden did this. And Eden's like beginning to talk a lot now. She's like three, and she's beginning to tell on them. And so they kind of, this is like, this is kind of what the Pharisees are doing, just wanting to find anything so that they can tell on Jesus. And um, they try to do so. They try to get Jesus in trouble with a question on the subject of divorce. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They ask Jesus. And this is a question, like I said, intended to create a problem, intended to get Jesus in a lot of trouble. And the reason why is, in those days, 
there was an ongoing debate centered on the legitimate grounds for divorce. The debate was based on the interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24, um, which we're going to look at later. Um, and there were two schools of thought, the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. Both agreed that divorce was okay. But where they disagreed was what made divorce acceptable. That is, in other words, under what circumstance is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? The school of Shammai were the conservatives, okay? Um, they argued that the only legitimate reason for divorce was if one of the spouses was kind of involved in adultery or any type of sexual sin. Um, that is what they believed. The rival school, Hillel, were the more liberal, okay, of the two. They had the more liberal perspective. They believed that a man could divorce his wife for almost any reason. And so, and this is a real thing, for any reason. So if she burnt the food, right, they could go and get a divorce. They could divorce it. If they were dancing in the streets and they were like, mm, they didn't like your dancing when you were dancing on the streets, they would do that, right? Um, if they were talking with another man or um, they ended up seeing another woman that they were attracted to, these men had, based on what they believed, the Hillel people, that camp, were able to divorce their wives for any reason. One rabbi divorced his wife because, like I said, he found another woman more attractive than his own wife. And so at this time, you guys can imagine what the most common view was. It was obviously the Hillel view, okay? The more liberal, the view that says a man can divorce his wife for almost any reason. And back then, let me just add, I should have added this, but I didn't, but it was a male-dominated culture where only men were able to actually divorce um, their wives. The, the women, wives weren't allowed to divorce husbands. It had to be the other way around. And if a wife really wanted to divorce their husband, they would have to convince him and manipulate him because the men had the rights to do that then. And so you can imagine how the Hillel view, the more liberal view, was the most popular then. And men took, sadly, took advantage of that. And in light of these two views, uh, this, they're trying to get Jesus to choose a camp, okay? So they've just brought it up and they want Jesus to choose a camp. And this is exactly how they are trying to trap him with the question. Because if Jesus says that it's okay, it's lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason, right? He'll be siding with the liberals, and if this is the case, the Pharisees will accuse Jesus of being liberal and going against the law of Moses. But if 
Jesus sides with the conservatives, the school of Shammai, and says, hey, it's not lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason. They would say he was going against public opinion. Not only that, but he puts himself at risk of being executed by Herod Antipas. Do you guys remember that name? Herod Antipas, if you remember, was this dishonest and promiscuous ruler who got rid of his first wife so that he could marry Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. And guess what happened? John the Baptist, you remember him, was criticized his whole divorce and remarriage. And as a result, he was arrested. And eventually, um, John the Baptist got his head chopped off by Herod. And so if Jesus holds the same conviction as John the Baptist, the more conservative view, okay, he could be liable for a similar fate. He just could. And so their question is very, very thorny indeed. It's a trap. It's an attempt to trick Jesus into saying something against Herod or against the law of Moses. But Jesus, aware of their ill intentions, wisely avoids their trap by responding to their question with a question. Look at how he answers in verse 3. Look at that. Jesus says to them, um, what did Moses command you? The Pharisees, I'm sure, are kind of stunned right now. They thought they had Jesus trapped. They thought they had him in the corner, but suddenly they find themselves um, uh, a little, they find themselves kind of in the corner themselves. Like Jesus, in his amazing way, with his jiu-jitsu wisdom, has like turned everything around, and now they're in the corner, right? That was for you, Amos. They're in the corner. So, how did they answer Jesus? Look at verse 4. They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send and to send her away. Their response is very interesting because it's based on Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 24. And listen to this carefully. And they go here because Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4 specifically, um, it's the only passage in the Old Testament stating the grounds and procedures for divorce. Right? And what I'm going to do for you, I'm going to read just the first verse of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. But I want you guys to note it down, note it down really later. But it's the only passage in the Old Testament stating the grounds and procedures for divorce. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency, indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his hands, and she departs out of um, his house, and then it just gives um, 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 instructions after that. And so what they're doing, okay, is that in referring 
to this passage in the Old Testament, they are using it to justify divorce, to argue that divorce was commanded by God through Moses. But with this perspective, they're very, what they're guilty of is scripture twisting. Okay, what they're guilty of is interpreting scripture in order um, to, to, to suit or fulfill their selfish desires because the ultimate purpose of Deuteronomy 24 was not to give um, permission for divorce, but to give instructions for when divorce took place. Hang with me, okay? Hang with me. But what the religious leaders did was twist it, of course, to meet their selfish desires. They used it to justify divorce. In other words, the reason why they're twist, um, scripture twisting is that Moses did not command divorce. He didn't. But because of the devastation and destructiveness of sin and the capacity of sin to blind and enslave and harden people's hearts, divorce was permitted. Divorce was permitted, but it was never commanded. And so Jesus makes this super clear in verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. While the religious leaders interpreted the Deuteronomy passage as law, Jesus pointed out that it was developed because of the hardness of human hearts. The term hardness of heart appears several times in all of the scripture. It does. If you read your Bible, you've probably seen it before. And wherever it appears... It relates to the attitude of stubborn resistance to God. Divorce was never part of God's plan for marriage, but it became a necessary option because of the brokenness of humanity and as a safeguard against greater harm. One author said this, since stony hearts had forced the matter of divorce, Moses had given a commandment of legal requirements as a concession and not as a condiment of divorce. To further make his point that divorce was never part of God's plan, Jesus being so gracious and the genius that he was, Jesus goes back to the nature and purpose of marriage in the created order. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8, and 9 with me. He says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus intros his instruction on marriage with the statement from the very beginning of creation. This means that the origins of marriage was formulated before the fall. 
It was established before the intrusion of sin. Jesus goes on to explain that marriage, as God intended, involves a male and female. Am I reading it? Can you guys see it? Yeah? You guys can see it for yourself? Okay, I'm just making sure, right? Right? Verse 6, right? It says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Just want to make sure you're following along. And so, what Jesus is saying here is that from the very beginning, God's original plan for marriage is heterosexual. That is a lifelong marriage between a man and a woman. And I love what Bruce Gore says about this. Um, he's an author and scholar. He says this. The whole debate about same-sex marriage needs to go back to this verse. The debate about marriage and how it applies should begin under the shadow of Genesis and where it all originated from. Another author says this, any other sexual union outside of God's original plan um, and purpose, um, it's outside of God's purpose uh, and will for human sexuality. And so God's original intent for marriage is between a man and a woman. God's original purpose for marriage is not also for a man and woman who are married, um, who are married, but also it's for them to leave their families and come together as one. In the ancient world, um, they, they had it the other way around, okay? They said a man's duty to his parents was higher than his wife. That's how the men would communicate. Like, it's all about my mom. I love my mom. My mom, my mom, my mom, you know? And he, they would eventually be placing their parents and um, their desires above their spouses. But Jesus comes on the scene and says, um, no, leaving and cleaving means exactly the opposite. Right? He's saying, Jesus basically saying that the duty to the spouse should be placed ahead of the duty to parents. The union takes priority over previous relationships, right? Even relationships with parents. So that's what Jesus is saying here when he talks about leaving and cleaving. Jesus' concise teaching on marriage also lets us know that a husband and wife who leave and cleave become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. And the one flesh union refers to both the merging of two lives into one covenant with God, but also it refers to the actual consummation of that covenant through the sexual union of husband and wife. And so Jesus is giving us this concise, 
big picture um, teaching on what marriage is. And so far, we've seen that marriage should be between male and female. Marriage is for those two who get married to marry, to leave and cleave, right? So that they are one. And he goes on to let us know that they become one flesh. It's an amazing thing that happens, all right? Jesus then concludes his teaching on marriage with an authoritative command. Look at verse 9 again. He says, But what therefore God has joined um, together, let not man separate. With this, Jesus is saying that the union of marriage is something God has established and no man has any right to rip apart. As we've seen so far, in the times of Jesus, a man was allowed to divorce his wife as long as he sent her away with a document that gave her permission to remarry. And so with this statement, Jesus confronts the nonchalant and selfish attitude towards divorce and calls his hearers to honor the sacred marriage covenant. The religious leaders had asked Jesus uh, what was legal when it came to marry, marriage, but he answered with what was right according to God's intentions. The Pharisees wanted to talk about divorce, but Jesus insisted on talking about marriage. How are you guys doing? It's a lot. But it's helpful. I'm sure some of it is. All right. The Pharisees by now, you can imagine, are stunned. Deer in headlights. The disciples... Jesus' disciples, close followers, must have felt the same. That's why when they're alone with Jesus... They ask him to clarify exactly what he was talking about. Look at verses 10, 11, and 12. And in the house, the disciples asked him again, asked him again uh, about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. These words from Jesus have been at the center of much debate between Christians. The debate is centered on exactly what Jesus meant by these words. Is Jesus actually saying that if a wife or husband decides to divorce their spouse and they end up marrying someone else, they commit adultery. Is this what Jesus is saying? Yes and no. To get a fuller understanding of what Jesus is saying, we have to look at the entirety of Scripture. Okay? We have to look at the whole counsel of God. We can't just take this portion of scripture and use it to help us define what marriage and divorce and all of that. We can't. We have to look at all of scripture. And one passage in particular that is super specific, helpful 
in this context or in this conversation about divorce is Matthew 19 verse 9, which is a more complete recording of what Jesus said. And so I'm going to read it, but note it down. Matthew 19 verse 9 says, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives but from the beginning, it was not so. Here it is, verse 9, okay? And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Did you guys get that? In Mark, it simply says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another, commits Adultery against her, but in Matthew, which gives us um, more of an expanded version of Mark, says whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And so there's a difference there. Um, and so from this expanded version of what Jesus said in Mark, uh, in Mark, we gain more of an understanding of what Jesus actually said here. Jesus shows that divorce and the freedom to remarry is only permitted in the case of adultery. The late R.C. Sproul, who I absolutely appreciate so much, gives us this information. That's helpful. He says this. Here, Jesus uttered what is known as the acceptive clause by which he permitted divorce but defined the grounds on which it was permissible, which is adultery. Because of this view, or outside of this view, some Christians... Um, Actually, let's do this. In view of this, right, many churches have allowed divorce on the grounds of, of the grounds of adultery. But the only other ground for divorce churches have agreed on is what is known as this, the desertion of a Christian by a non-Christian, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. That is, when a spouse who's not a Christian decides to leave a spouse who's a Christian... Right, First Corinthians says it's fine um, for divorce and remarriage. And so according to scripture, adultery or abandonment by an unbelieving spouse are the only two legitimate biblical grounds for divorce. The only two by the Bible clearly um, outlines, okay? I have um, not been a pastor for long, but I've had experiences in pastoral ministry, um, and I have encountered situations and cases which 
when it comes to the whole idea of a couple or one, um, one of the um, couple considering divorce and everything like that, I've encountered situations where it's, it, it's not adultery or it's not um, an abandonment thing, but you look at the situation and you're, you're, you know, you, we're just very much like, man, like, it might not be any of these two that are clearly spelled out in Scripture, but it makes sense. She can't keep living with him. He can't keep living with her because it's toxic for them and it's toxic for their relationship. And so in me saying that, what we never want to do, what we do want to do is be faithful to Scripture. We do. But what we don't want to do is be so rigid, um, we allow there to be pain and harm because we're so rigid, okay? I'm trying to be as sensitive and articulate as possible, okay, on this matter. And so that's what the Bible says, Arkane Hughes says this. Divorce is not the ideal. It is a divine concession to human sin and weakness. God hates divorce, but we must realize that if someone gets divorced and remarries within biblical guidelines, it is not sin, though it is because of sin. We must mourn every divorce. We just do. And so, to begin to conclude, divorce is a complex subject. And my goal this morning, like I said, has not been to deal with the many complex questions associated with divorce and remarriage, but certain conclusions clearly surface as we've um, looked at what Jesus has said about it. And here's kind of a summary of them all, right? Jesus' teaching here is a response to the easy divorce approach of many rabbis. They were seeking legitimate grounds for divorce without sinning. So we must consider this context when discussing divorce and remarriage, right? We've studied it. Jesus is specifically confronting the Pharisees who looked for loopholes and reasons in order to divorce. And Jesus is confronting them. And we might look at those Pharisees and think to ourselves, ah, oh, they were back in the first century. Doesn't really apply. Yes, it absolutely does because if you look all around us in our culture, I think there seems to be um, a belittling of marriage and viewing marriage lightly and how that plays out is kind of the, um, the, the just the just if you look at how much divorce and the statistics and everything like that, it's absolutely um, um, very dominant. The, the divorce and the rate of divorce is absolutely, the statistics are mind-blowing, okay? Number two, marriage is not simply a contract between two families that can be broken whenever one feels like it, but it is a sacred covenant made before God, which is meant to last a lifetime, 
Number three, marriage is not a man taking a wife into his household as his possession, but by pointing back to the Genesis account, Jesus is making it clear that the wife is not property, but a partner. Number four, marriage brings a man and woman together, and together the two make up one new person. Number five, divorce is always tragic and a failure of a sacred covenant. Number six, through, though sometimes necessary, divorce is always a result of human sinfulness. The Bible does allow divorce for two reasons, sexual immorality and the desertion of a believer be um, an unbelieving spouse. And number eight, also the scripture allows for remarriage um, for the following reasons. When a spouse is guilty of sexual immorality and is unwilling to repent and work on living faithfully with the married partner, divorce and remarriage are acceptable and should be considered. Um, and number two, um, remarriage, second reason for remarriage is when a believer is abandoned by an unbelieving spouse, divorce and remarriage are again permitted. And so, as a church, King's Cross Church, we're like a year and a half old, okay? We need wisdom and compassion as we deal with some of these difficult and touchy subjects. We don't just need wisdom and compassion. We need patience. And where we look to for wisdom, where we look to for compassion, who we look to for patience, it's not ourselves, can't be found here, but it's in Jesus himself. It absolutely is. And so I want to read um, something for you guys. Um, but before I do that, I want to share a little bit about my experience when it comes to this whole idea of divorce. So I um, was born out of wedlock. Um, and I'm sure some of you know that I was born out of wedlock. Um, to this day, I don't know my dad. Um, my mom got married again, um, and not long after, her and her second husband, um, who did his best, my stepdad, to raise us, not long after, they divorced. Um, and so my mom, and then after that, you know, she got with someone else and they got married and they do. And so I have, since I was born, been affected by the destructive and the pain of divorce. I just have. And so uh, when I laid eyes on my beautiful wife, Eleanor, and I began to date her, and we began to get serious and move towards marriage, I was very reluctant at some points. And the reason why I was reluctant and concerned was because uh, as far as the statistics are concerned, right, I have, I, I don't, 
you know, based on who I am and my upbringing and how divorce has affected me, statistically, it didn't look good for me as a married man. It just didn't. And so I was concerned from the beginning. Are we going to make it? Are we going to do it? And we had issues. I mean, our first year of marriage were terrible. It was so hard. It just was. And the question marks of, are we going to make it? Like, I'm looking at my history thinking, gosh, based on me and my ex, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I just don't know. Is there any point getting married? But I was inspired and encouraged by Jesus. I really was. And it might sound like a cliche. It might sound like, oh, the thing the pastor has to say at the end of everything, but it's not. It's just not. Jesus is who has empowered us and provided for Eleanor and I so that we may get to this point where we are 11 years in and we have no plans or no thoughts of turning back or no. And it's all by God's grace through Jesus Christ. It just is. And the reason why Jesus empowers, the reason why God calls or his design for marriage is so, um, it, it, it's so, the standard is so high, is because he demonstrated for every single one of us what true commitment looks like. He just did. Right? He, he, he came in the form of a person, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, but how he interacted with people, how he served people, how he stooped down low to relate to, the, um, to, to those in society that have been pushed to the fringes. Jesus Christ modeled for us what true commitment looks like. And so as a church, whether you're single, desiring to get married, whether you're married, no matter where you're your marriage is my if you don't remember anything else I've said in these last 35 minutes remember this Jesus is able and Jesus is the one you need to look to in order to empower you to fulfill his purposes or God's design and God's purposes for marriage. Cling to Jesus because he's clinging to you. Don't try and let go of him. Cling to Jesus, hold on to Jesus, meditate on Jesus, remain in a church community that exalts Jesus. Why? Why have I? Why have we lasted so long, Eleanor and I? Because Jesus, by his grace, reminded us of the importance of being part of a church community. And he provided for us and we got plugged into that church community. Not only that, by looking at how Jesus related to me, we empowered me and reminded me of how I'm to relate to Eleanor. 
How do I forgive? Where do I find the power to forgive Eleanor? Okay, where does she find the power to forgive me when I sin against her? She looks at how Jesus has forgiven her. All of these things. Where do we find our hope for the next 20 years? We find our hope in Jesus. We just do. And I don't have time to flesh out all the many ways this applies, but... The big thing in us looking at marriage as God intended it, the big thing about looking at the messiness and the devastation of divorce, big thing for us is not to take our eyes off Jesus. Not at all. So as a church, that's why we sing about Jesus. That's why we're gospel-centered. That's why we seek to see everything we do through the lens of the gospel and what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Jesus, be everything. Be our everything. Be our cornerstone. And as we've heard, all that we've heard, we look to you and we ask that you would shed light on where there's confusion um, and that you would bring deep and lasting healing where relationships um, have wounded us. We're looking to you. Holy Spirit, (coughs) work powerfully in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to have a time before we stand and sing. We're going to have a time of reflection. And during this time of reflection, this is what I want you to do in your own time, in your own space. I want you to pray um, for couples um, in our church. Pray for marriages, not just in our church, but people you know. In general, just pray for marriages that God would, by his grace, enable them to fulfill his will for marriage. Pray for marriages. Also, pray for couples um, who are involved in divorce, currently considering it. Pray for the, the churches and the individuals that they're seeking counsel from, that they would have compassion, they would have grace, they would have wisdom to know God's will for that situation. Pray for children affected by divorce. Pray for them. I know for sure I was prayed for. Let's pray for them. Um, And just pray. Pray for marriages. Pray that as a church we'll be faithful and gracious when dealing with um, situations um, like this. 
And so you spend some time really praying, really praying for marriage, really praying for divorce, God, really praying for people that have been divorced. Pray that God would help him see that he, that, that he, they are loved by him and they're not second-class citizens, that God would remove any shame that comes with it. Pray for them as well.